Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Paul Listening Behind the Curtain, my chance to step away from the political and legal issues we cover on television for a much more relaxing, less stressful time in the world of entertainment here on Behind the Curtain. And today, this is just so much fun because I, I, I doubt there's anybody who is watching or listening who didn't grow up with I Love Lucy and every Lucy incarnation after that, and also isn't a fan of Lucille Ball and the whole I Love Lucy gang. So you might be saying, well, what can we do about that now? Because they're gone. Well, they might be gone, but guess what? Um, there's somebody who's around and is going to be around for a long time who's making sure the memories of I Love Lucy live on. Joining me is Greg Oppenheimer. He is the son of the great Jess Oppenheimer. I won't assume you are all experts in who was who in this process, so we're going to explain that to you. But Greg, it's been a while since I've seen you. You still look great. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Paul. Glad to so be let's here. just for for the you know relative novices to all this. Everybody knows Lucy and Desi, Fred, Ethel, everybody. But explain who was your dad. And um, and and you've been keeping all of this alive for decades now. Yeah. Well, my, my dad was uh, Lucy's a uh, radio sitcom producer and head writer and director. And so when they went to move to television, she in- insisted on uh, uh, him being in charge of the project. And so he was the creator and producer and head writer of I Love Lucy. I know it's a typical question to ask. I mean, there's very few things. You go up to young people today in their 20s and 30s, and you could say you could say Frank Sinatra. You just say names to them, and they are clueless as to who people are. It's a very frustrating thing. Mm-hmm. But when you say Lucy or you say I love Lucy, it doesn't matter if they're 10, 12, 13, everybody knows it. What What is it about that whole I love Lucy enterprise with your dad? He was smart enough to see. Even when others were selling their, their rights, he didn't. He saw something in it. What um, What is there about that show that keeps it going generation after generation? I, I think it, it, it's really uh, a, an institution that is handed down from parents to their children, generation after generation. Uh, you know, most people discover it when they're kids, because you know a lot of people their mothers use it as babysitters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> put the kid in front of the TV; they're going to like this, and uh, you know th- that's the way people have discovered it for for generations. And, and uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't continue. I, my CBS, my dad had a piece of the show uh, and a small piece, but but uh, CBS tried to uh, buy him out years, you know, I think in the 60s or 70s. Uh, and uh, they said, you know, this is going to be a very old show. Uh, and he, he said, no, I'm, I'm going to let it ride. I, I don't see any reason why you know future generations shouldn't find it just as funny. And they do. Indeed, and you had that in the book. That's why I made the point, which is to say your dad saw something that maybe others who had a piece of that show didn't see, which was the everlasting life of it. The wonderful thing is, here's the thing. There are a billion and one books about the lives of Lucy and Desi and and, and, and Vivian Vance and William Frawley. I mean, we can read from now till the end of time. But if you really want to get a sense of behind the scenes, you have to look at the work of not just the players in the show, although there's great purpose in doing that. I've read so many of those books and they're great fun. But you got to read your dad's book, which you, of course, assisted in called Laughs, Luck and Lucy, because really in your in your dad's book, 
we get a perspective we can't really get and don't get from those written by or written about the stars of the show. Well, yeah, because you know he, he had to come up with the, the concept. I mean, the, the show began when the show began. They didn't know what they were going to do. Uh, you know, Lucy and Desi wanted to do a, a TV pilot, and they finally got CBS to agree after a long struggle uh, to to make a pilot deal with them. But then they said, "Okay, what's it going to be about?" Uh, CBS just wanted to take the her radio show in which she she played the small town wife of a banker. Uh, to to TV, and there's no way Desi could play a small town banker. Uh, so he said, "You know, what is every, what are they going to do with a, uh, a a Cuban band leader and uh, a, you know a Daffy redhead?" Uh, it seems natural. Everybody just you know, oh, well, I know what they'll do, but at, at that time they had no no clue. And uh, uh, you know, dad, my dad finally came up with this the premise. Uh, you know that, that uh, Lucy is. Uh, She's married to a guy named Ricky Ricardo, who, who's a, a uh, he's known nothing but the entertainment industry, and all he wants is a normal home life, <clears throat> so he can get away from you know the rat race of of uh, show business, uh, and and wants as far away from show business as possible, and not re- he doesn't realize that he's married some a girl who's just uh, wanted all her life to break into show business, and and that was the original concept. But the thing is, you say that, and and the thing is, and we we get it from from the book, from your dad's book, which is to say there were a lot of issues they had to deal with back then. You know, a band leader might then would have been making a lot of money, and they didn't want him to make a lot of money. They wanted people to relate to these characters. And it also made him, he was the star. I mean, in theoretically, a housewife and a band leader, he's going to be the star. And your dad knew, well, that can't be. She's the star of this. So there had to be a lot of tweaking and manipulations of things to make all of this work in a way that made her do what you just said, which is she always wants to break into show business. He's just sort of working at a regular club where he's making a routine salary so that regular people could relate to this show. Right, exactly. They, they did the same thing on the radio show. They, they, the first thing my dad did when he took over My, my Favorite Husband, which was her, her CBS radio sitcom, was to to make it clear that her... Because that it sort of started out as a, um, a society show. And she was a socialite wife of a bank vice president. Well, bank VP, that's that's pretty good. And then he, my dad made him fifth vice president and uh, you know, made clear that he, he didn't make uh, any more money than this uh, gas station attendant down the block. Yeah. And, and, and same thing with Ricky Ricardo. He was in a, you know, a, a, a nightclub that was frequented by tourists and it's not an expensive place at all. And he's not making any, he's just, you know, earning a paycheck. By the way, uh, I guess uh, my favorite husband is also not, everybody thinks of that as the origination of all of this, but actually there's something before my favorite husband that that was based on. You tell us what that was. There was a book called uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cougar. Yes. Isabel Scott Rorick. The reason Rorick. I kind of put that on you is because I don't know if this green screen will do it, but this, this is a copy of that book. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the green screen is making it whatever. And uh, because when I learned about that, of course, I had to get a copy of the book and you can still get it. It's in hardcover, eBay and stuff. But this is an armed services edition. So this was the version of the book. It's complete, but it was made available to people who were serving in the armed services. It was World War II time um, and and thereabouts. And so this was the version that they read. So when I next see you, I've got to show that to you. Oh, it, it yeah it it was uh, around quite a, a while before and uh, it has nothing to do with the, the my favorite husband that ended up being the the, the hit 
they they followed the book pretty closely when they started the show. When my dad took over, he just changed everything. He basically his previous show had been Baby Snooks, starring Fanny Bryce, and uh, it was just about a, a little girl who drove her daddy crazy. You know, she's she very precocious and 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 uh, all that. And um, he basically turned Lucy's character, whose name was Liz Cougat, uh, into Baby Snooks, a, a, a grown woman, in, I mean, a, a, yeah, a, a child in a grown woman's body, a little a little girl, and who once do it again. Who drove her daddy, in this case her husband, uh, crazy. And, you know, she, she'd tell her not to do something and she'd figure out a way to get around it. Same stuff that was going on in Baby Snooks. What's also true is there was no connection. There's no connection between the name Kugat. And of course, there was Xavier Kugat, who was the band leader. And there's the kind of rivalry between Ricky Ricardo and Xavier Kugat within the show. Right. That's just coincidence when it comes to the name of the book. Yes. Kugat was considered a, a waspish name at the time. <laughs> there you go. So couple of projects come out of this. I mean, look, your dad's book, which which you helped complete after his death, it was done some time ago, but that's not why we're talking about it. In fact, I think we talked about that years ago. There's a couple of new things that have come out that people need to know about. And one is an audio version of the book. I'm angry at you about something because the book is a little over eight hours in length in terms of listening to it. And my intention, I mean, I initially told you I don't have time to read the whole, you know, to listen to the whole book. I'll pick parts. And you said, well, here's some good chapters. And uh, and then I was going to listen to it over a few days. The problem with the audio version of this book is that I couldn't stop. And so I literally listened to the whole thing in two nights um, because the background was just it's like I you know I had read the book years ago, but you know you kind of forget. That's why I'm angry at you because I because it took away from other things I had to do because I couldn't <laughs> stop listening. Uh, I apologize profusely. <laughs> Forgiven. You had a supporting cast. The narrator was uh, my friend Ivan Curry, who used to be on the Jack Benny program. Yeah. Uh, but it, he had a supporting cast of 28. <laughs> if you count everybody else who appears on that show uh, on the recording. And what's great about this is when we read the book, of course, we get the stories, but you were able to do something a little different with this audio book version, which you don't get in the real book. And it adds so much to it. I want you to say it. What is it you've been able to add in and do in the, in the book that we didn't, sorry, in the audio version that we didn't get in the book? Well, uh, well, when dad is, for instance, talking about when he, what happened when he was in the control booth while they're shooting a particular episode, uh, I'm able to go right into the episode and you hear the audio from the episode and, and he's sort of talking over it and explaining what what's happening. And then you get to hear what happens. Uh, so you, you feel like you're taken behind the scenes in that respect. Exactly. And sometimes there's a reference. I mean, the real life stories, because it makes total sense. People are like, where do they come up with this plots? And you, your dad wrote that in the book. It's like, he's always asked, where do you get the plots as though hmm. I think he's had a story. He was at a party and somebody said to him, well, okay, you, you shoot the show in a day. What do you do in the rest of the week? Yeah. <laughs> as though this was all done instantly. But what was great is so many of the stories and specifically I have the passport episode in mind. This is not, you don't walk through and he, in the book, he and you, you don't go through like, let's go through every episode of I love Lucy. The passport episode comes earlier in the book because something similar happened to your family. Yeah, um, when my dad was uh, in college, uh, his, his mother said my, his father had died, and his mother said to him and his sister, "You know, we, like, we we're going to go on a trip around the world." Uh, and uh, they went down for their passports, and uh, the guy asked, "You know, uh, was your husband a, a, a born here?" He said, "No, he was born in Germany." Uh, was he a naturalized citizen? Yes. Uh, what year? I, 1893, I think she said. And, uh, 
he, he said, do you have, and so he went and checked it for the naturalization papers, couldn't find him. And the, the law at that time, this is 1935, I think, uh, was that when you, when a woman would marry a man, uh, if, if, he, if he was not an American citizen, she would take on the citizenship of her husband. So she, that would make her a German citizen. And so unless she could prove her late husband's naturalization, uh, she would be a German citizen in 1935, a Jewish woman who was born in San Francisco. Would be deported. She was born in the West Coast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they had, uh, it took them a couple of weeks to find, they wrote telegrams to every uh, naturalization office, immigration office uh, uh, around the country that, that they could think of that my, his dad, dad my, uh, my father's dad had been associated with, finally heard back from Sacramento that, you know, they had the papers. Uh, but it was quite a, uh, a harrowing experience. And, and that led to the passports episode on Lucy when they're trying to go to Europe and Lucy can't find her passport. Right. Uh, just so classic. Um, so I want to talk about the three individual products, uh, projects because, um, uh, well, you'll understand why in a little bit. But second, let me go on to what is essentially um, kind of a radio play that you put together. Talk about another way to bring this to young people and schools and all this kind of stuff. Um this comes from the next stage press, but it's called Lucy Loves Desi. A funny thing happened on the way to the sitcom. What a brilliant idea. Tell my listeners, viewers, what is this? This is a, a play that basically tells the behind-the-scenes story of how uh, I Love Lucy was created and became a hit. And it's, it's narrated by Desi, and, and, and Lucy is in it. Uh, it started out uh, under the title I Love Lucy. Uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the sitcom. Uh, we had a brilliant uh, uh, world premiere by LA Theater Works, which you can get on Amazon or Audible. Uh, I've, I've listened to that all thing too. Yes, yeah, and it's, it's based on uh, on the book. Uh, and uh, it, that that premiere it starred uh, Sarah Drew played Lucy from uh, Grey's Anatomy, Oscar Nunez from uh, uh, The Office, Oscar the Accountant, and played uh, Desi Arnaz and, and uh, Seamus Dever played my father. He's from Castle. Uh, and uh, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's this, the way I always wanted. If I, every 10 years, somebody does a movie <laughs> about Lucy and Desi. And it's, it's always so grim and never funny. And I wanted to, to tell the story in a way that makes you feel like you're watching an episode or listening to an episode of I Love Lucy. And uh, I was very happy that they were able. I was able to fulfill that. I think. And what's uh, brilliant is because it's done as done as a radio show, which was so much of Lucy's background anyway. It allows for various groups to do it without having to, if they don't want to, go through the memorization. All that they can do it on book. Right. And any uh, community theater group or high school or, or college or uh, you know, um, drama department wants to do it, or um, or professional theater company. For that. We we had a, a national tour earlier this year. Uh, 21 cities and, and everybody loves it and uh, uh so next stage press ha- is, is licensing the the rights to it now and it's it's uh, I- i'm just thrilled about it and people that want to if people who are watching and listening to us right now and saying wait a minute i want to do that i'm a teacher or something like that i want to do this what's the best way for them to get a hold of this and, and start the process just go to nextstagepress.com or you can go to lucynet.com i think i have the link uh there um, but Next Stage Press website uh, has it available. Just search for uh, Lucy Loves Desi and, and it'll come up. You can listen to an excerpt from it there too. 
Yes, which I did. Um, and you have a third project that I want to mention, uh, talk about for a little bit, and then we'll go back to these. But um, it's from the online radio theater. And this is really interesting because your whole world, since I've known you, it's Lucy, Lucy, Lucy. And all of a sudden, we got somebody else coming into the fray, and it's Groucho. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I was growing a little stir crazy during the pandemic uh, because I, I, I'm a, a theatrical director, and, I, and I've been going around. I, I normally go around the country uh, Produce, directing recreations of radio programs, old classic radio programs, Jack Benny, um, My Favorite Husband, etc. And uh, I was just sitting at home. I said, there's got to be a way to do this remotely. And uh, we developed this thing called online radio theater where it's visual, but it's it, they're basically doing a radio show. And, uh, you know, we've done the Jack Benny program. The first thing we did was... Uh, I think uh, Burns and Allen and uh, with guest star Jack Benny played by Rich Little. Uh, Diana Canova has come on and, 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 and sung as a, a guest star. And uh, uh, this one is, is uh, Groucho on the radio starring uh, Frank Ferrante, who is you know, internationally famous for doing Groucho, Broadway star. Yeah. And, and it was just so much fun. Well, and, and, you know, when it comes to Groucho, by the way, it's not just about the voice. I mean, Jack Benny is a lot about the voice and a few gestures, but Groucho, there's so much in the face. There's so much that has to go through it. Frank is one of the the best to bring on. Um, in fact, actually, a, a, a bit of a surprise for you. One of the things that I came to realize um, is that we have a mutual friend, um, and that is in Frank. And so he is going to join us. There he is. Hi, Frank. Okay. There is our mutual good. There you got it, Frank. There you go. Groucho wouldn't have had so much trouble with that. <laughs> We've just surprised Greg. Let me let you guys say hi to each other for a moment. I'm not sure when the last time you've seen each other was. Oh, it's been a, a, month, a couple of months, hasn't it? Hey, Greg. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. What a treat. I finally got to watch uh, our work. It's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. So Thank fun. You. And, and while we that. kept you in the waiting room, Frank, Greg was describing what this project is. And I thought, well, the best way to get, you know, how this worked is he talked about, you know, having to do this remotely and stuff. I thought, well, let's talk to Groucho. So <laughs> how was it working remotely with all these people to make this work? You have to have reaction shots and all that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know how Greg pulls it off. It's complicated. Some of the recording I did was opposite an actor and some of them were just put in later. So we did multiple takes until Greg was satisfied with an inflection or a reading, and I was happy with it. So that's that's how it came about. So and then really the hard the the real work is on Greg's side. The editing I think is everything, as you can see the back and forth. And but you get a nice sense of what of the radio show. I mean, and I, to me it's fun to have the visual. And these this work hasn't been heard for decades, Paul, and decades. So. And I, you know me, I love the rhythms, so that's a delight. Any, t any chance I get to play with him, with his sound, it's a, it's a joy. Greg, talk a little bit about how you did. I mean, Frank doesn't know how you did the editing, so how did you make it come together? Because I'm guessing at some point you have a series of videos of all these players who have to interact, and you have to make that work. Yes, the most difficult thing was we, <laughs> we had a, uh, uh, Frank does a song with four-part harmony. And with a chorus behind him, and, and uh, uh, we thought we were going to have a, an accompanist, and everybody you know sings to the the accompaniment. But we we ended up not doing it a cappella, and uh, and everybody was recorded at a different time, and so it, it, it was challenging to say the least. But it, well, yeah, I, I, not we, just that the song is a complicated song. It's one of those great patter songs that Groucho yeah. always sang. In this case, Doctor Hackenbush. 
And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of back and forth. A lot. It was it, the tempos change. <laughs> but uh, it, I liked it with acapella, you know, because it gave it a, a real freedom. And quite frankly, when you're dealing with so many players, uh, it's hard to put everyone under one one roof. And so it, it worked out. But, you know, Hackenbush is one of Groucho's favorite songs, Dr. Hackenbush, in which he played the character Dr. Hackenbush in A Day at the Races. And the song Hackenbush was cut from A Day at the Races, and Groucho loved singing it. He sang it in the 30s when, when, when the film opened. He sang it in wartime for the boys. He sang it as an old man on the Bill Cosby show in the 1970s. So it's always, for me, it's a thrill for me to perpetuate this ridiculous number of Dr. Hackenbush. I'm, uh, uh, for ailments abdominal, my charges are nominal, though I'm great for, I have a rate for, tonsillectomy, sick and healthy, poor and wealthy, come direct to me. Oh, God bless you, they yell when you send them home well, but they never, no, they never send a check to me. I mean, come <laughs> on. It's just absurd. It's brilliant stuff. And by the way, Greg, you probably know this, but you know, Frank has adopted Chicago as his second home, maybe even his first home by this point, because he has spent years here uh, doing um, various productions. But Groucho, of course, who shows up and actually you're talking to us now. You are not in your California home now, Frank. Let Greg know where you are. No, Greg, I'm, I don't know if I mentioned I'm in Calgary for 10 weeks oh, yes, doing with Groucho for the Can eight shows a week. So it's been what a what a what an experience! It's beautiful, you know. I'm near a near river, but it's nice to, you know. I don't often get long runs, so as you know, the more you do, the better you get. And it's like yeah. I'm still learning how to work an audience. Uh, so it's it's been great. So I'm in Calgary. I will be back in Chicago in January at the Metropolis. Yes. So I'm excited about that. So Greg, fly in yeah, January. Not- come see come see Frank in the, yeah. the Metropolis. Paul, you know, interesting. My, my, my dad had a, a Groucho connection. The first, uh, we do a number of routines from different radio shows. And the first one is one that my dad wrote for the Marx Brothers in 1937. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been heard since 1937. Uh, and so this, this will be, you know, the debut again of, of, of this routine. But uh, my dad, at, well, not, a little before that, he was dating uh, uh, Chico's daughter, Maxine. Uh, That's in the book. By the way, and I'm guessing Frank knows this, but can you just really quickly tell that dinner story with Groucho? Because if Frank doesn't know it, he'll love the story. <laughs> I don't know that I can do it justice. But uh, my my dad uh, snuck backstage after seeing Day at the Races at, at the Orpheum Theater in San Francisco. Uh, and... Uh, uh, he he managed to, to get let in because uh, the, the guard thought the doorman thought he was with a, a large part of family, and so he he was backstage and he, he met Maxine, uh, and, and she wasn't you know talking to anybody, so he he just got into conversation with her, and then uh, found out who she, she was Chico's daughter. The Marx Brothers invited him if he wanted to come to Chinatown with them for for dinner, and uh, so. You know, for a young man who wants to be a comedy writer, that was heaven. So he, he, he said he didn't remember anything that happened during the dinner. It's just a, you know, a euphoria and rosy, rosy glow of euphoria. He said. Uh, but uh, when they brought the check, a, a, a wizened old uh, a Chinese man brought him the check, and uh, he, he added it up on an abacus, and it came to you know, $22.38. And uh, Groucho grabs the abacus from, from the old man and, you know, batters it back and forth like a, a tambourine uh, and, and says, you know, $18.42. 
and 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 the old man takes it back and, and tries it again comes to exactly the same answer and Groucho kept grabbing it from him and each time Groucho would you know indignantly come up with a different answer <laughs> <laughs> even went above what the check was was right yeah, it, was it, it went as high as like $45 down to <laughs> 12 cents and uh, the people in the, everybody else in, in the restaurant were just falling on the rolling on the floor laughing the the, the, the old chinese gentleman I had no idea who Groucho was, and he just you know, very seriously right, right. came to the exact right. same point every time. That reminds me of the joke in A Night at the Opera when Groucho is dining with a, a female at the top of the show, and he gets the check, and he looks at the check and goes, what, $9.40? That's an outrage. If I were you, I wouldn't pay it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did but you know that story, Frank? Did you know the Groucho story? No, 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 I didn't. I didn't, but I can't imagine how much fun, uh, the kind of chaos that they created, you know, publicly. And so, I, you know, that's a fantasy, as as Greg's saying, to, to be part of that family and that insanity, particularly post-show when they're adrenalized. I can't even imagine what that was like. It's funny, the Orpheum, that, that's where they would, you know, they would try out, as we know, they, they would try out these movies on the road, like a day at the races. Mm -hmm. So they were at the Orpheum, they're in Salt Lake City, they're in San Diego, they're all over. You know, they're, uh, they tried out films all the time in Chicago. Something, speaking of the Chicago connection, I realized after the fact, I closed in July in, in a show, in a variety show, after 10 months. And I realized later that right across the street where I'd have my drink after the show was the former site of the Apollo Theater on the corner of Dearborn and Randolph, where the Marx Brothers did Alsatias. Across from that, where Daly Plaza was, the Schubert, where they played. The, the Marx Brothers played all over that theater district uh, where Petarino's is. They were performing. So I, I realized I literally the ghosts are all over the place. And so the ghosts do return in Greg's recent radio show. So you'll get yeah. a real, everyone will get a real flavor of it when it comes out. And, and by the, the way, in that same neighborhood, Greg, Lucy and Desi did their stage act. Oh yeah. Right. I, yeah. I think were they, I think they were at the Chicago theater. I think. Yeah. Not. Yes. They were at the Chicago theater. Yeah. Which is still there. So fortunately that one's still around. And they well, opened in, in June of 1950, 1950. Yeah. Because, of course, they also had to prove to producers and to sponsors and all of that that they could play well together on stage. We should tell uh, people where, where they can see the uh, the Groucho. That was show. exactly my next question. <laughs> so, um, so Greg, why don't, tell us where people want to watch this online radio theater, uh, which both Frank and I have watched. But where can other people check it out and see the great work of Frank Ferrante? They can go to my uh, uh, YouTube page, uh, my YouTube channel, which is, which is at Greg Oppenheimer. Uh, and if if you uh, forget how to spell that, uh, you probably can uh, search Groucho on the radio on uh, on YouTube and you probably get it. Well, we'll have it on the homepage, too, for the podcast okay. so people will be able to see it. And Frank, anything you want people to know before I let you go? I thank you for surprising Greg. Oh, no, it's great to see Greg. Paul, I miss you. I, my thing, I miss Chicago. I'm looking forward to coming back there to me. Was the most heartwarming experiences I've ever I've ever had. Your daughter is a comedian who's per, uh, a performer. Yeah, here. my daughter is doing stand. She's invented herself as a stand-up. She's twenty-one, but again, that's the Chicago influence. So I'm so proud that I brought them there. That I had such a great experience in Chicago. That both of my kids are going to DePaul, and both of them are part of the community. And Lucy not only is doing stand-up, but she's hosting comedy nights. So other local young people in Chicago are doing their thing. Very proud. So. 
Thank you, Chicago. And thank you, Paul. You're such a wonderful friend. You but, know I love you. And great well, and you. I love you, too. And when you come back in January, we'll go to one of Lucy's show. You'll be Groucho. I'll play Harpo so I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and and we'll take right. over her show and have her wish that uh, you weren't her dad and that I wasn't around. So it won't be the first time. Frank, <laughs> what did you think of the uh, the sound effects when you flipped the coin? Oh, it's fantastic. All the effects are amazing. That's something for people to look for. But I thought all the, tra- the, the buttons, all the transitions were great. The sound effects were superb. I didn't expect that at all. I was like, oh, that came out well. That was good. <laughs> yeah, well done, sir. I Thank love you, it. Greg. Frank, thanks for coming in and surprising him. He didn't know you were going to do this, so I'm so happy you did. I'm grateful. Hello, I must be going. <laughs> I came to say I must be going. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Oh, my treat. I'm so glad this worked out. Yeah, thanks. That's perfect. So just go to uh, at Greg Oppenheimer at, on YouTube, and you can watch Frank uh, and his fellow cast members do some great things. Uh, Greg, let me come back to you and talk about some of the Lucy stuff that, that you've been doing. Um, I thought we could, I might have Frank. I, I hope you didn't mind that little, little, uh, in, in Beijing. what gave me the idea was a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed George Schlatter and Lily Tomlin popped in on him with me. So I wanted to do that with you since Frank is, uh, a, a guy that we both love. So, uh, was happy to do that. that. Yeah. So that's now we got to go back to Lucy. And um, and so let me talk about, again, the audio version of the book, which people can get on Audible. We should note that, right? That's yes. where I listen to it. Um, and so in terms of putting in the clips, what what gave you the idea? I mean, you didn't have to. You could have just had Ivan read the book. And that's what books on tape usually are. But I think you knew that people, when they could hear actual clips from the show, um, which, you know, you, you still have access to, of course. What what made you think that this is the thing to do to make this work? Because it sure worked for me. Well, I, I, it, it, I couldn't see any other way to do it, really. I, 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 in the book, I have uh, excerpts, script excerpts. And so, you know, people read the book and they can see the script and they can visualize uh, and, and hear in their minds Lucy saying the lines. But if I was just going to have uh, some, uh, someone read that, I, I just didn't see how it would work. And in fact, in, in other cases, I did not have access to the original audio, such as Dad was talking about uh, an introduction that he, he wrote for Al Jolson to introduce John Barrymore on the radio. And uh, so I had, um, uh, you know, the, the, the founders of the Firesign Theater, Bill uh, uh, Proctor and David Osman, came and played uh, Al Jolson and, and John Barrymore to, to do that, recreate it as opposed to just having the narrator read it. You also get to do some things in the appendices of the book, which um, are uh, appendices of the audio version where we get a full script, right, from from uh, My Favorite Husband. The full radio broadcast, yes. So that also, so obviously you had to, when you decided to do this, you're thinking, well, what else might I do towards, towards in the end to add some things in? Well, it, it, it was challenging because I wasn't sure how much I could get away with, with Audible uh, because they have strict rules about uh, how close to the book the audiobook has to be. It, you can't call something an unabridged audiobook if it's you know more than a certain percent different from from the book. So uh, I couldn't insert you know twenty minutes in the middle of the book because then the, it wouldn't match. And in fact, they have this thing where you can you can buy the uh, uh, the Kindle uh, version of the book and and the audiobook together and and uh, listen to it as you read along. And, and uh, you, know, you can't obviously you can't do that if unless they sync up. So I kept yeah. I, every time I added something, I was counting okay, how many how many minutes have I added to this thing, and what percentage off it are we? <laughs> I, love, I didn't know that. 
You know, yeah. when I, I interviewed Lucy Arnaz uh, some time ago for the show, and she, I had always heard, I had read that that when Lucy passed away and was ill, she always she thought that the world didn't love her anymore, and I couldn't believe that was true. And I asked Lucy Arnaz if that was true. Sadly, she said it was true. Um, yeah. And Lucy's at the end, she really did think that because of her last show, Life with Lucy, that people didn't love her anymore. Um, it's so untrue. When you, when you, from your perspective as, as the son of Jess Oppenheimer, and you look at all of this, I see this as something that is just never going to go away. You agree? Well, it shouldn't. I mean, because the, the, the humor is so universal and timeless. Uh, you know, there's no, nothing topical about it. Uh, it, it and it's just the, the, the everyday human experience. Uh, and, and that's why everybody loves it so much. There's also some great interaction in the book and the audio about Desi Arnaz. I mean, I'm not going to give a lot of things away, but Desi wanting to get an executive producer credit because he didn't think he'd get many acting jobs after this. Your dad had some issues with that because your dad wanted people to know this was a Jess Oppenheimer production. Yeah, well, and, and, and he had the credit as, as producer and had Robert, uh, and, uh, but uh, I think some of this, uh, if people know that there, there was problems with Lucy and Desi's marriage. And, uh, and and Desi was feeling sort of, uh, I don't know if neglected, he, he was feeling unappreciated because uh, everybody was giving Lucy the credit for acting. You know, she's the star of the show. And behind the scenes, uh, my dad was getting the credit and uh, Desi wasn't getting the credit at all. And, and he's deserving of an awful lot of credit. So L- Lucy had the idea that maybe their, their problems at home would, would be better if Desi was getting public credit. So she... she she didn't suggest to Dad or Desi that he take a, a producer credit. She told uh, the associate producer, Al Simon, to uh, suggest to Desi, without saying where the idea came from, uh, maybe you, shouldn't you get a producer credit on the show? And then Desi, not knowing where it came from, took took that idea when it came to Dad and, and asked for it. And, and Dad didn't want to give up his credit. And uh, and he didn't want to think that you know he was just doing everything working for Desi. So they they had a, a long back and forth over that, and eventually Desi took executive producer credit. And, and your dad found out by getting an article. Somebody wrote, <laughs> let him know about an article, well, right? Well, he agreed to executive producer credit, but what he didn't realize was it, was that uh, uh, Desi uh, Kenny Morgan, uh, the PR guy at, at Desi, put out a press release quoting yeah. Dad, and he hadn't said anything that said that uh, saying that Desi had been the real producer all along. I just want people to once again know how to find all this stuff to get the audio book uh, of Laughs, Luck, and Lucy. It's audio. Uh, it's audio. I just go to Amazon Audio, man. I just go to that website. So, or I have the app. Uh, yeah, you can go, you go to Amazon uh, and, and look up Laughs, Luck, and Lucy. Uh, or you can go to lucynet.com. And there's links to everything there. Right. Uh, uh, and um, including my Facebook page, as a matter of fact. So I want to see Gretchen. Oh, and by, by the way, we, we, there's a lot of other shows that we've recreated. Uh, besides I, I was going to say, that's one of, I think there's there's like eight different productions and there'll be more as time goes on. Greg, I'm yeah. so glad you live in this world because sometimes I feel like I'm too old and, and it's just wonderful to know that you're you're kind of right there with me in, in terms of loving and the passion. <laughs> I hope we get you back to Chicago. I thank you for your time. Congratulations on all these projects. I love getting ready for this interview and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Paul. It was yeah. a pleasure. 